If we look historically, what we see is more money from women has been sitting on the sidelines. We want to make sure that money is working as hard as we do. There's opportunity for us to be doing more. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Lorna Capista. She is the head of women investors and customer engagement at Fidelity Investments, where every day her team helps women make informed financial decisions and become more financially confident in their daily lives. Before she joined Fidelity, Lorna spent over a decade in financial services at American Express. Lorna, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be talking to you both. We're so excited to have you. Before we jump into the interview, we like to warm up with a lightning round so we can get to know you better. Quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Sure am. Okay. First job on your resume. Oh, good question. I think it was waitressing, but officially on the resume, I guess I call it media buying. Do you have any hobbies? I love to run and I love to lift weights. What is something, you know, working in finance that you feel like is the most often asked question by your non-finance friends? What is emergency savings and how much do I need to have in it? And what's the answer? On average, Fidelity recommends three to six months. But most important, I always say, is you have to have your sleep at night number. So if that works for you, great. But if you need more so that you aren't up at night worrying, then you should hit that number. What is your best money trick or tip? Automate. So the thing for me has been to automate and automate retirement. If you have a workplace provider, easy, but automate other forms of investments or payments so that it's done for you. What's one word a direct report would use to describe you? Passionate. What is something you will never pay extra money for? What will I not pay extra money for? You guys might have me on this one. I mean, are you going to pay for the extra guacamole? Oh, I am going to pay for the extra guacamole. Okay, okay. listen, I'm just, I'm checking. What I'm actually probably not going to pay for is um, I tried to send my laundry out and they put a surcharge on sending my laundry out and I, it was just too much for me. I felt like I needed to do it myself. I support that. Okay, last question. Danielle, you want to bring us home? Yes. Finish the sentence. What best describes your workday? Working nine till? Six. Hang out with kids. Maybe do a little bit more. Hang out with kids some more. Today, we're going to talk about women and money. Uh, But first, I want to ask you about your own journey with money. What was your experience with your own finances? And how did your comfort level evolve? I was someone who I really focused on career and making money. But what I didn't know is all the basic foundation of when you had money, what you're supposed to be doing. And I start everything from not really knowing that I needed to have an emergency savings. I was really focused on my career and making money, but I wasn't thinking about what I needed to be doing with that money. Everything from establishing an emergency savings through 
saving for retirement investing were just not one of my top priorities. Um, ended up continuing to work, have a career, had three children, and did a divide and conquer with our finances, which is more of the traditional approach where he did the investing and I did everything else. And about seven years ago, when I came to Fidelity, that changed tremendously. I started to participate in some of our women's efforts and workshops and realized I needed to get in the driver's seat when it came to my money and decisions. And I've done that. And I'll tell you, it's been a massive change for me in reducing my financial stress, but feeling more in control and confident overall. So that's my story. I want to double down on that a little bit of what that unlocked for you. Because I think what you're talking about is something I personally can really relate to. And I think a lot of our listeners can, which is liking to be in control. So there are certain areas that I'm like, that's, that's my thing I'm in charge of. But, you know, quite honestly, like investment and, and things like that are not areas I particularly feel confident in. And so, you know, with a partner, I'm like, I'm like very happy to have them take charge. When you came to Fidelity and, and then figured out like, oh, you know what? I should take more ownership here. Talk to me about what that unlocked for you. And then more specifically, how did you feel confident in knowing what you were doing? So that's a great question. And I'll also talk through like what I actually do. So when I came to Fidelity, what I realized was that there was a lot more than what we typically talk about, which is just in making the investment decision. But there was actually taking a step back and understanding what you have, what you owe, and what that money is set to do for you. So what are the goals you have? Do you have, I happen to be with a partner, common goals. And so what I actually did from that was really just sit down and go through all of our money, all of our debts, and had a conversation with my husband around our goals. And when I say our goals, I have three children, like to help them pay for college. Are we saving enough? Are we in track? Do we agree on how much we need to save? We didn't at the time, interesting enough. Also our other goals, be it at the time looking for kind of a second spot for us to live in on weekends and during vacations. And what the change was, is it wasn't necessarily about me going in and making all of the investment decisions. It was more about developing a collective plan where we were actually just talking about those things. And he wasn't making decisions on what they were in absence of me. And how we do that is we come together regularly. We sit down once a year at least, but on a quarterly basis, we talk about where things are, what's changed. I'll tell you the pandemic has been a change where we've just reevaluated. When do we want to retire? What are our kids doing? How do we want to travel differently in the future? And it's made us take a step back and come together more regularly just to reevaluate, was our money going to help set us up to do those things? When it comes to making the investment decisions, sometimes I make them, and honestly, sometimes he makes them, or sometimes we get help. I'm okay with that. It's really more about the overall, like, what is the money doing? What is it set to do? When are we going to need it? And what for that we really came together on? And that's the big change for me. It's not easy to have that initial conversation. It's not easy to start it and be honest with yourself about where you are. And I've certainly found it difficult to have that conversation then with a partner. What's some advice you have 
for that starting point, that initial conversation? Because I think that's where a lot of people just like put their head in the sand. So I can tell you what we did and then also some suggestions as I've talked to others. So for us, we actually really focused on taking a very rational approach to our initial conversation. So I think if you lay out the facts of what you have, what you owe, and where you've been, you start to look at it just like the facts. It's how much you each make. Because oftentimes what we find when couples come together is they actually don't know one another's full compensation. If you're a couple, or even if you're an individual sitting down and understanding that. And so for us, we started very rationally and then started to get more comfortable talking about our desired and ideally common goals. What I often find though, and what we've done as well is we sit down with a financial professional. Oftentimes I find a financial professional, not just to be someone who helps us figure that out, but sometimes it's a little bit of couples therapy and it helps because it is an independent third party who is able to kind of talk you through both with experience on what to do, but also has dealt with so many couples and also individuals in getting really kind of real and raw about your money, your money habits, what's good and what's not. And so I always say start rational with the facts. Then if you feel like you're moving into a territory where you need some more help, financial professionals are a great resource to lean on. So I want you to get really tactical for a second. For those that are listening and perhaps maybe happen to be a co-founder at The Skim and be the brunette, what would you say is the best way, very tactically, to start gaining financial literacy? Like, how do you begin? I thought you were going to ask a question for me. No, for me. Teach me. You know, it's funny. There's a couple of different ways that people are getting started these days. The first, and I think one of the best, is to take advantage of all of the resources that are now in front of us today. And what's great about what's available, be it through social media, be it through financial influencers, or also companies like Fidelity, is that it is much more accessible than ever before. The one thing I do always say to people is to just make sure that you're choosing the sources that you can trust and that do have that foundation of experience with so much information. You want to make sure that you're getting the most reliable. And I recommend joining the conversation. And so an example of why that becomes important is you get yourself familiar with what others are experiencing and what others are doing and the questions that they have. We host a Women Talk Money community. We actually started it a couple of years ago when the pandemic kicked off because we had women with thousands of questions across the country. If you remember at the time, right, we didn't know if we were going to have our jobs tomorrow. You wanted to make sure you had enough cash in the bank to get you through. But everyone started reprioritizing what was important to them. And we've been hosting these live Zoom discussions since then. We have them on a monthly basis. Thousands of women and smart men join us from across the country. And we talk money matters. Everything from like just starting out to if you're someone who's closer to retirement and really want to make sure your retirement plan is in order. And the reason why I say start there is it's a great way to just get yourself into the conversation and start talking money, particularly for women where years ago, we didn't talk as much about money and what it needs to do for us. And now there's a conversation that's available for everybody. So I think common advice that you get when you talk about finances is to start with the basics, right? Like make sure you have your emergency fund, 
make sure that you're set up to save for retirement. And let's say that someone felt confident with that. Then it goes into the world of investing. And I feel like that is a whole different set of competencies and confidence building. What do you say to someone who's nervous to start investing their money? And what are the basics of actually investing? So what's awesome and what you just said was if someone has their basics in order. And one of those basics, as you said, is saving and investing for retirement. And one of the things we find is that when you ask a group of women if they are investors, most won't raise their hands. If you ask that same group, do you have a retirement savings plan? Everybody often, most can raise their hands. If you have a retirement plan, you are investing. And I think what we don't realize is that investing outside of retirement is really similar. And it actually provides the same set of options of what you can get access to if you're saving and investing in a retirement plan. And so someone who is really ready to take that next step, one, I would think about the fact of what you're already doing and how do you apply that outside of retirement. The second thing, and we've seen so many people doing this, particularly young women, is starting small, investing with purpose. So knowing what you want to be investing in and the time frame of when you need it, and then learning your way into it. And what's really great today, which took place a couple of years ago, is many investing firms cut the fees associated with starting to invest and also how much. As an example, Fidelity is zero minimums, zero commission trades. You can get in there with as little as a dollar, set up an account and start to learn your way into it, taking some of what you've learned in retirement and applying it over. And that's just a great way to get started. The other thing I would say is if you're stuck, be it setting up the account, knowing how to fund the account, you can actually always call for help. So if you have a workplace plan, most of the institutions that support those offer help for free and they'll help you with outside of retirement. And I can tell you Fidelity offers free help for everybody. You don't need to be a customer to learn your way through it. So take advantage of those resources that I know I didn't know 15 years ago it was for free and I wish I did. So in the fall, Fidelity had a study that I really enjoyed that said women actually post better returns than their male counterparts. Why do you think that is? That's so exciting. I love that you love that study and doing that analysis. It was great to see, but I wasn't surprised. So women have a really thoughtful recipe for success. And I just talked a little bit about it. But first of all, where they start with is what's important to them and what they're trying to achieve. And that was kind of one of the things is very goal-based. The second thing that we saw, and I talked about this earlier, one of those little secrets is this idea of automating. So a more regular and consistent approach to investing where they're buying and not trying to time the market, but more taking a very focused approach on, I've got my goals, I'm going to keep investing towards those goals. And what we also saw is women react less to the ups and downs of the market and have a tendency to buy and hold and stay with their investments for that period of time. So those three things have become a recipe to success. I will tell you, when we looked at women versus their male counterparts, it wasn't a woman versus a man thing. It's actually just a myth bust. So oftentimes when we ask men and women who the better investor is, men say men and women say men. 
And what we really wanted to do was demonstrate like when women do it, they actually do it really well and are highly successful. And so we wanted to make sure they kind of took ownership of that great success. What I think is really interesting about the reasons you just talked about is, you know, a totally ill-informed assessment that I think is is put out there around women is that we're risk adverse. And so when it comes to investing, that that is a negative. It's like a strike against us before we even get into the game. It's like, I want to do my homework. I want to have time to think about it. And sometimes that makes me lose out on things. How do you think kind of about, I, I would say like that stereotype, do you think it actually works in in women's favor? I call it risk aware. And I think that's what you just described. And I think that if we look historically, what we see is maybe because of that risk awareness, more money from women has been sitting on the sidelines. In fact, we did do another study that shared with us that 50% of women have 20,000 or more sitting in a bank account, and that's above and beyond their emergency savings and retirement savings. And so what I would simply say is that We want to make sure that money is working as hard as we do. And so there's opportunity for us to be doing more. The reality is that risk awareness maybe has acted as a factor of some historical inertia, but I'll tell you that that's changing. In fact, we just came out with a study that looked at women across generations and young women under the age of 36 have taken some significant moves to invest. So 50% in the last six months have either invested or planned to invest in the next six months. And so I think they're turning that risk awareness and that thoughtful approach into action. And that I think is the opportunity for us to kind of fully get past any of the old stereotypes or noise that may have been getting in the way. What do you think we're going to see coming out of the pandemic as it pertains to women and our attitudes towards money and investing? What are some things that your team is looking at? I'll tell you, the great news is that we're already starting to see some positive momentum. So the pandemic has had an impact overall. We talked about the She Session before, everybody's aware. I like to actually look at the silver lining, and it started very early on in the pandemic, and it continues, which is women prioritizing their money, prioritizing how to figure out how to make their money work as hard as they do. And that taking full financial control and investing is a way to fund their lifestyles. And so what we've witnessed throughout the pandemic is that in action across generations, we've seen more engagement, more action, and desire to be doing more. I'm very actually confident that that is going to continue because we still have a gender wealth gap. This is one of the opportunities with us taking those steps to do more and investing for potential growth that is going to help amongst a few other things to close it. Lorna, that makes me so inspired and excited to hear. And it's an area that, you know, Danielle and myself and the skim are, are so passionate about. So I'm choosing to look at the bright side of what could come out of the pandemic for women. And I know, you know, obviously this audience has been hit so hard. So it's great to hear how optimistic you are. I am. And I'm optimistic because of what women are doing. You know, I am here And what I do, I'm passionate about it. It is supporting. It is helping with the things that I didn't have 20 years ago that I want everybody to have access to, particularly women, which is exciting. But I'll tell you, I'm inspired. And I have the luck of getting to talk to so many women across the country, across all generations. Women are inspiring me 
and everything we do to just continue to do more, to better serve and enable, because the more we can do that, the more collectively we're going to come together and continue to do great things. Lorna, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's such a treat and we just really appreciate it. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.